Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Today we're kicking off a brand new series called Looking Back on Christmas. And it's kind of this idea of hindsight. You know, isn't it something how when you, you know, when, when you look back in hindsight, things kind of come into focus. Like in the moment, like while you're going through it, you're going through the difficult circumstances, it's like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like it feels awkward, it feels hard, it feels difficult. Maybe there's a lot of tears, a lot of challenges around it. But then as time passes, you look back on those circumstances, and it's like, oh, okay, I see, I understand. You have perspective. And so, you know, the, the perspective of hindsight oftentimes is very, very valuable to us. And many of you understand that, right? So we're, what we're doing is we're going to be looking back on that very first Christmas because in the moment, it must have seemed really, really difficult for Mary and Joseph, I imagine. You know, an angel telling her that this virgin who's pledged to be married, she's not married yet, that she's going to have a baby. You know, in all the circum, you, you know the story of Christmas, all the circumstances surrounding that first Christmas of the challenges that they were facing. It must have seemed very, very difficult. But now we look back on that first Christmas 2,000 years later, and in hindsight, we look back and we see, God, your plan was unfolding just as you had planned. You, you, your promises were real and your promises were kept. As we look back on that very first Christmas, right, we, re- we recognize that he kept his promises. The reason why I'm feeling compelled to talk about this during this season is because I think that sometimes, especially now the season that we have been through in the last couple of years, that there has been a lot of heartache, a lot of hardship, a lot of difficulty. And there may be some, and there are some, who have lost faith. There are some who are struggling, some who just don't know, have no answers. Like, God, what are you doing? And I just believe that we can benefit by looking back on that first Christmas to realize that God actually is working his plan and that his promises are true. And even today, his promises are true to you and I. I mean, you've probably experienced this, right? Where you look back in hindsight at something and, and it starts to make sense to you. But in the moment, it was difficult. Like, think back to high school, right? Maybe your girlfriend broke up with you or, or your boyfriend cheated on you. And in a moment, it was so, so hard. It was the end of the world, right? It was like, there's just no way that this is ever gonna, I'm never gonna overcome this. But then 20 years later, you go to that class reunion and you see and you're like, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for saving me from that one, right? <laughs> because there's something about the perspective of hindsight. There's something about being able to look back and say, okay, that was difficult, but now I look at it and I see your hand. I see what God, I see God what you're doing. It feels different in hindsight than it did in the moment. And hindsight seems to work that way, that we're able to see the good in things that are very bad. And my prayer is that we will see that. Uh, it's going to be true for us because over the last couple of years, um, I mean, there has been some good that has come out of these last couple of years of pandemic and this uh, very divided culture that we live in. There has been some good that has come out, that's for sure. But there's also been some very unintended outcomes for these last couple of years that have been difficult and been very challenging. And I know that 
many people are struggling. And I just, I'm just convinced that God's gonna redeem all of that. But there have been some unintended outcomes. In fact, this week, um, there's a beautiful, lovely saint in our church who's been attending our church for quite some time now, Ethel Good, who is right now losing her battle with COVID in the hospital. And, uh, you know, it's tough. There has been some really, really difficult things happen in the last couple of years for us. And so I'm sharing this not to discourage you, but to call you to action. Because it's in moments like this in which the church should rise up. It's in moments like this when the followers of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ has an answer for this world that we're struggling in. But there definitely have been some very difficult things that we have undergone. We also have some very unprecedented opportunities in front of us. Here's some examples of some of these unintended consequences of the last couple of years. There was a a CDC survey that found that one in four young adults between the ages of 18 and 24 had seriously considered suicide in the last couple of years. 25%. We have an entire generation that are struggling with anxiety right now. And as a church, we can help. We have an opportunity here in front of us, right? I mean, we're positioned, we bring hope, we bring peace in the name of Jesus, so we're gonna be led by the Holy Spirit and address this issue of people who are seriously considering suicide. Another study conducted last year among people who, were, who suffered from moderate or severe anxiety and depression, it says that 70% reported that loneliness or isolation was a major contributor to their mental health concerns. Loneliness or isolation, they, you know, they're depressed, they're, they're feeling anxious, all that stuff is happening, and they say that the reason why is because I'm lonely, I'm lonely and I'm isolated. Now think about this. We're a church community. We are about connecting people to Jesus and connecting people to one another. That's what we're about as a church. So this is an opportunity for the church. This is an opportunity for the church to rise up and step in. When people are feeling isolated, when people are feeling lonely, we as a church can do something about that. Because that's what we're about. That's what the church is about. And so this next, this next year, we just want to really focus in on life groups and really making sure that people get connected. Because in a world that we live in right now, people are isolated and, and, and lonely. Right? Marriages have been hit hard as well. Um, there's a lot of factors, but set, here's another statistic. The number of newly married couples looking to divorce is up 34% over last year. What does that tell you? I know, I'm gonna have to take this jacket off, aren't I? They're like looking at me back there saying, hey. <laughs> um, what does that tell you? It tells you that there's a lot of young people don't have the tools and how to deal with stress and anxiety in their culture, the things that they're struggling with. And again, as a church, we are positioned to help, to do something about that. I mean, I can go on. There's this huge surge in domestic violence, substance abuse, increased traffic to pornographic websites, and this list goes on and on and on. This is the unintended consequences of the last couple of years, but I tell you this not to discourage you, but to speak courage into you. Because this is a time for the church. Are you hearing me? This is a time for the church. Because we have a hope that cannot be shaken. We have a peace that surpasses understanding. This is a time for the church to rise up and be a voice, a prophetic voice in our, in our culture. 
You and I have that opportunity. And yet, in this season of trial, many followers of Jesus have stepped back. They've kind of withdrawn themselves. They've, they've limited their involvement. And I get it. I understand there's fear, there's concern, there's all of those kind of things. But do we really want to, like say 10 years from now, look back on this, on this season and look back at this season and say this, that when I look back at this season, what I did is I protected myself. I isolated. I, uh, I played it safe. There's a lot of opposition, but with opposition, there's opportunity. So 10 years from now, what I hope, what I believe is going to be the, the thing that we're going we're to look back at 2021 and we're going to say to ourselves, we didn't step back, we stepped up. We didn't give less, we gave more. That's the opportunity you and I have in front of us. So what we're going to do is we're going to look back at this first Christmas and we're going to draw hope from it of how we can possibly ourselves in this day be the hope of this world. Amen. I mean, the story of the first Christmas, that's what it's all about. You have unexpected, unqualified people who get to be a part of God's story. Maybe that's how you feel. I'm not, I'm not qualified, but God is calling us to be a part of his story, right? In this series, we're going to look back at different scenes from the Christmas story, and we're going to acknowledge now, acknowledge now in the moment, that they might have seemed a little bit confused back then, a little bit discouraged back then, but now God, we see how God actually was working out his plan, his purpose, his promises. We're going to start in Luke chapter 1 with the very first Christmas song. Do you know there's a Christmas song in Luke chapter 1? It's Mary's song. You know that, right? It's the very first. You guys like Christmas music? Yeah, man. Uh, okay, let's do this. We're going to do a, I'm going to poll our, our audience here, okay? Um, and the question is going to be this. When do you start playing your Christmas music at home, okay? And so you're just gonna show by a raise of hands when you start, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask three different questions and you're just gonna tell me when you, you raise your hand by, you know, by, you let me know that that's you by raising your hand, okay? So um, how many of you start listening to Christmas music? And I realize that for some of you in this room, this is not your decision. Like there's somebody else in the house that demands it, right? And you can't fight it because after all it is Christmas, well. Maybe it's not Christmas, but still, they, they want it. So. so by a show of hands, how many of you watch, uh, start playing Christmas music in your home like when God intended, which is right after Thanksgiving? Okay, most of you, all right. How many of you start playing your Christmas music around October? Okay, there's a few of you. Now, for the rest of you, <laughs> Just, you might as well just raise your hand so we can know who are the people that never take their Christmas lights down, you know, and play annoying Christmas music all day, all year long. Anyways, I mean, we are inundated with Christmas music during this time. Of year. You go to the mall, they, they're playing Christmas music, but the problem is at the mall, it's kind of very eclectic. Like they'll, they'll, they'll have Oh Holy Night that's followed by Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. It's like, okay, what, what's the Christmas story here, right? But the song that we're going to read today is actually... Uh, the best reflection of the Christmas story. It's Mary's song. It's a song that glorifies God, expresses hope that's found in Jesus. Um, this song, Mary's song, is sometimes called the Magnificat. You know, if you've ever heard that phrase, the phrase, the Magnificat, I don't think I have that. The Magnificat, it basically means uh, to magnify, to praise, to glorify the Lord. All right? So Mary in this song, it's right before she's 
gives birth to Jesus. She begins to express her confidence in God's plan. But here's what you need to understand. She's expressing her confidence in God's plan, but she's also very confused about what's happening. Like she's wondering, God, is this how you really wanted it? Is this how it's supposed to be? Because I'm very confused. But she always lands. She land, in this song, you're say she lands back on this confidence in God's plan. And I think that this is the prophetic word for us today. That you can walk through this life, you can be very confused about why things are happening. Like you may not understand why your loved one had to die. You may not understand why you had to lose your job. You may not understand any of those things. But you can always step back and be confident that God is working out his plan. This is a message of trust. Now what surprises me is that actually God chooses Mary. Like Mary is the one, right? Like she gets all this attention at the beginning of this, of this chapter. But well, we really don't know much about Mary. Like, we really don't know much about Mary before Joseph. During the life of Jesus, during the ministry of Jesus, you know, Mary pops up here and there, but we, nothing's really said about her. And then after Jesus' death, we really don't know much about Mary even after that. I mean, there's a lot of traditions about it, but we don't know a whole lot about Mary. And that kind of surprises me. But the only thing that we know about Mary is that she was a humble servant who magnified the Lord. And maybe that's all we really need to know about Mary. She was a humble servant who magnified the Lord. Now, over the years, the church has tried to make a lot, out of, out of, a lot more out of Mary than even she would have been comfortable with. Um, there's these traditions. And for example, we, she's called the mediatrix. This is a term. I, got, I think I've got that term somewhere. Uh, maybe not. Mediatrix. It's this idea that, uh, you know, that not just Jesus is the mediator between God and man, but that... Um, that Mary also plays a part as well in being a mediator. Maybe you grew up with that tradition, but the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, that there's one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. So when you pray, when you pray to God, you pray through Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. Another title for Mary is co-redemptrix. It's this idea that Jesus was redeeming the world, but she also played a part in redeeming the world. Like, Jesus saves, but Mary also saves. But the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name, talk about the name of Jesus, there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, what's interesting is that Mary would have never actually the little bit that we know about Mary, she didn't refer to herself like that way. She didn't say, I'm the mediator. Like, I'm special. I'm special. I've got a place, you know, in, um, high because I've, she never did that. She refers to herself as a humble servant who worships the Lord. That's what Mary does. A humble servant who worships the Lord. You see, she understood that the story was not about her. That in this movie that we call life, she wasn't the star. Boy, that's a message that we need to hear. Because too often, most of our problems is because we want center stage. We want center stage. But God's working out his plan and the only way that we're ever gonna see God's plan unfold in our life is when we get ourselves off of center stage. God's plan doesn't revolve around you and me. 
And so let's look at this. Mary models this in Luke chapter one, verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth is Mary's cousin, and she's currently present, pregnant with, with John the Baptist. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. So what you need to know about Nazareth is that it was a very insignificant town. It was out in the boondocks. Nobody went there. It was an insignificant town, 10 square miles, a population of around 300, no sewer system. About half the population of, of Nazareth would die at birth. The other half only had a life expectancy of about 30 years of age. And God says to, an angel, to the angel Gabriel, I want you to go to Nazareth and send my message to this young virgin. I'm sure Gabriel's like, what, where? Uh, let me look it up on Waze. How do I get to Nazareth, you know? Like, it, that's how insignificant this town was. And yet God sends Gabriel to that town. And Gabriel appears to Mary, and it says in verse 28, he appears to Mary to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. <clears throat> Check out Mary's response. She was greatly troubled. <laughs> she was greatly, greatly disturbed. Like, this is crazy. Uh, like, like, wait, wait, Gabriel. Okay, I know you, I, I, I acknowledge that you're an angel, but I think you missed your turn off the interstate. You're, you're, you, there's another Mary in some other town because I cannot be, I, there's no way that I'm highly favored. I'm a nobody. I live in a, no, in a nowhere town. I think you got your wires crossed. You've got the wrong number. It says she was greatly disturbed and she wondered what kind of message, <clears throat> what kind of message might this, this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. She was highly favored with God. I want, that's how she's described. I want to camp out here for a second because those two words, favored, favor with God, or another translation say highly favored. Those two words is not what we would normally apply to a person like Mary. Now we might, our world, the way our value system, we would look at Mary and say she's highly overlooked. Highly ignored. Like she's, who is she? She's a nobody. That's what we would say, right? But as we look back on this Christmas, here's one of the things that we're gonna see. God often uses the overlooked. God often uses the overlooked. God highly favors someone who, who the world completely overlooks. In fact, that's one of the things that God's, God does. As we look back on that first Christmas, what we see is that he chooses people you and I would never choose. That's who God chose. A little village girl named Mary. So what is it about Mary that made her highly favored, that invited God's favor? I think that's an important question for us to ask because if you're like me, I wanna be favored by God, right? So what was it about Mary that made her highly favored? I think that's important for us to understand that. All right, why, why was she selected? Because I want to be favored by God. Why was Mary selected? You know, I read an article, Forbes magazine, several years ago, actually. It kind of caught my attention. I was reading, actually, a blog that referenced the article. But 
Um, the article was about the most powerful, important, significant people in the world. And um, this, here's how this article started out. Here's how it starts. It says, there are seven billion people in the world. These are the 70 that matter. Yeah, like you're not on that list either, <laughs> okay? And then here's a criteria for how they picked those 70 people. How many people does a person have power over? Like maybe it's the president of a country. How many people are in that country? What financial resources do they control was another criteria to determine the 70 most important people in the world. Do they have influence in more than one arena? How actively do they wield their power? Like are they actively engaged in being a powerful personality? So Forbes Magazine says, here's this list of the most 70 most important people, and here's the criteria, and I wonder, does God read Forbes? Does God make his decisions about what is important, who is important, based on what this world says? I guarantee you he does not care what Forbes has to say about who is the most valuable, most important person on the face of the earth, right? So in fact, if you apply these four criteria to Mary, who is highly favored by God, she would not make the list. In fact, if there was an opposite list in Forbes, it's like Forbes had a list of the least most important people on the face of the earth, Mary would have a chance of making that list. I mean, she had no power, no position to demand you know, respect. She didn't come from the right family. She had no wealth, she was, not, she was very poor. Let me tell you how poor she was, that when Jesus was born, it was customary for a couple to sacrifice a lamb when their firstborn male child was born, their firstborn male came, they would sacrifice a lamb. They were so poor that they couldn't sacrifice a lamb that they actually sacrificed two birds instead. And yet this is the person that God said is highly favored. This is the person that God said, she makes my list. And so are you on that list of highly favored? Maybe we need to reconsider what is of great importance in this world, right? You know, one day we're gonna see in hindsight that it seemed ridiculous, it just seemed ridiculous that the people that we celebrate and we follow are those who can get in front of a camera and, and pretend to be a certain person and, and memorize a few lines. We're, we're gonna look back in hindsight and we're gonna be ashamed of ourselves that we, that we dared gauge a person's worth by how much money they had or the car that they drove or the house that they lived in. See, what we're gonna learn is that God's economy is very different than what this world, world value system is, right? In fact, one day Jesus' words will be so clear and so true for us. The least among you will become the greatest. We read that in the Bible and we don't believe it because we constantly strive to be the greatest. And yet it says the least among you will be the greatest. And so for now, this world seems to be impressed with the brash and the arrogant but you need to know that God favors the humble and the bent knee. It seems to celebrate, pay attention to those who are self-sufficient, but who God looks at, he, who God pays attention to, are those who are servants. And so if you look at Mary's life, there's a lot you could talk about. She was obedient, she was faithful, but I think her humility is what drew God's attention.
more than anything else. I want us to challenge ourselves to, to think as Mary thought, to sing the song that Mary sang, right? In fact, let's look at Mary's song. This song is a song that basically glorifies God, acknowledges God, puts him on the pedestal, puts ourselves in the right place, right? Luke chapter one, verse 46 to 55. He says, my soul, she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. This is, keep in mind, this is right after the angel came to her and said, hey, you're highly favored, God has selected you. Tells her, tells her what she's gonna, what's gonna happen. And then this is how she responds. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Notice how she refers to herself. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. So she kind of qualifies. What is it to be Humble in in state is those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our fathers." This is how she responds to being chosen by God. This is how she responds. She sings of God's greatness. She sings of his power, of his might. In that song, she describes herself as a humble servant. Listen, you'll never have an appropriate view of God until you have an appropriate view of yourself. Until you understand who you are in that context. You can't magnify God if you think that you are the center of the story. I know those are hard words to say because I know that we wrestle against that. We have this innate drive to make the story all about me. That's what we want. To tell others, to let others know that I am powerful, that I am strong, that I have something. But what we have only comes from God. And Mary understood this. This is what Mary does, she points to God. Nine times in this song, she uses the word he. Six times in this song, she uses the word his. The song is not about her. The song is about God. That's what she's trying to say. That when she's in the middle of confusion and struggling and wondering, God, are you sure about this? She turns it all around and says, but God, you are great. You are great. You are great. You are great. You're powerful. You, I know. I trust in what you are doing. This is what Mary's posture is. It's not about me. I'm not exactly sure what's happening right now, but it's not about me. You are writing this story. It's your story. And so when we look back on this season 10 years from now, this is what my hope is. My prayer is that when we look back at 2021, 10 years from now, that what we will see is not that we shrunk back, that we spent a whole year or two years in fear, cowering, but that what we see is that we actually stepped up and we trusted God and we believed God that his plans were unfolding. And that when we look back, we see God, we see your hand. Yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff that's happened in these last couple of years, but God, we see your hand at work. That's the, 
That's the message that God wants to speak, speak to us today. We need to have a right view of ourselves and a right view of God. We're going to sing a song here in just a second. The worship team is going to lead us in a song, Great Are You, Lord. I'm going to ask us to stand because we're going to sing this song. And here's a challenge I want to put before you. I'm so sorry about that, Mike. <clears throat> I know, Chris Carey's, I love you, man. I know, he's looking at me with those eyes, piercing eyes, like, you got that, you're messing with my mic. <clears throat> it became very clear for me this week, and it has been actually for some time, but it just was accentuated this week when I went into the hospital room and I sat with Ethel, who is not, she's not, um, I mean, I, she's not interacting, she's not responsive. I sat there for about an hour and a half and I, um, I read scripture and I put some worship music on and I set it next to her pillow so she can, I, I just believe that she's hearing all of this and so, and then I walked around the room and prayed and uh, just uh, realizing that this has been some, a tough season, that this was just emblematic of where we've been for the last couple of years. And then in the middle of all of that, the Lord just reminded me that his plan is unfolding. And when, you know, soon Ethel will be in the presence of the Lord and she deserves to be there. Yes, praise God. But his plan is unfolding in my life, in your life, in all of our lives. And I don't know where you are right now. I don't know if you're sitting here right now, you've got a mask on, and you're trying to figure out how do I pretend like everything is great and it's not great. And you're wondering, God, why have you abandoned me? God, why have you left me in this place? I just want to challenge you to turn that around and start singing a song, that first Christmas song. My soul glorifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. I don't understand the circumstances. I don't understand the challenge, but my soul magnifies the Lord. You're good. You're powerful. Your plan is unfolding in my life. And in faith, trust that that's what's happening. Amen.